You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Man, it is great. You know, as we're kind of like singing that song, I Am a Child of God, you know, I love this teaching series because kind of what we're seeing is not only are we going to see the example of a gentleman by the name of Stephen live out his faith and be incredibly courageous to overcome this persecution barrier, But I want to highlight to you, I think what we're seeing too is the ferocious commitment of a heavenly father to ensure that the words of Jesus would actually prevail when Jesus said, I will build my church. That man, God is so committed to the, the Christian, the follower of Christ, because you are his kid, you are his son, you are his daughter. And he wants to see that the church is going to move forward as a family of God. Uh, that, is, that is fun to see. Hey, this morning, before we get started in the message, um, if you've got, you got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're in Acts chapter 6 and 7. I'm going to be walking through it, it, the uh, first account where Stephen is going to be martyred for his faith. He'll be stoned to death. And we're going to see uh, persecution break out in Jerusalem. Chapter 7, verses 54 through 60 is... Where I'm going to be, I'll do some back work, uh, some context work as well to show you kind of what's going on. But before we get started, I want to highlight to you and remind you, last week we talked about the barrier of organizational leadership. Um, Over the last year, the church has grown by like 40%, so that's good. Uh, The problem is, is that uh, we have a small staff team. Like we got three, just of like this week, we got three full-time staff members at the church, and the church is about... 450 people that call North Valley home, and uh, on average, there's about 300 and something people on a Sunday this last year. So uh, last week, I said, guys, can you help us? Um, we need help in the area of just ministering to people. And I asked if you guys would uh, recommend that, and we looked at the life of, of Stephen and the early church and how the church kind of started recommending and appointing different people to help out with ministry needs. And so um, last week, I asked if you would uh, uh, recommend somebody in the church uh, to be a part of maybe counseling, um, to be a part of maybe uh, home visits, ho- uh, hospital visits, maybe mercy and benevolence. Um, if you would help out, if, if you would recommend somebody maybe with uh, practical helps and needs. And you guys like gave me a huge list. I uh, counted up the connect cards last week and we had over like 40 something people that were recommended to serve in this area of ministry. And so it's really exciting. And so what we decided to do as a pastoral team is we've appointed a team leader uh, to help serve kind of in the area of care ministry, um, servant leaders team. And so um, this morning I want to introduce to you, I'm going to have um, just him stand up, Dr. Bill Yarger. Uh, give him a round of applause. He's an awesome, awesome guy. Uh, so Bill's going to serve as the team lead of that, and the goal is by the time we end this series, we're going to have a team of men and women that are dedicated, and they're going to help assist the church in areas of counseling, uh, home visits, hospital visits, mercy, benevolence, um, and then just helping out with practical needs. Like if there's a single mom who doesn't have a car, we as a church are going to be that church that's like, we're going to get that car fixed. We're going to help her get on her way. Or if there's somebody in the church that's struggling and they just need some marital counseling or financial counseling, like we've got to do that. 
we got to do that. So we're at a point where like my calendar is filled up too much and we just don't have enough time. And so now what we see is that God's given uh, Dr. Bill Yarger served as a pastor at Scottsdale Bible, also served as a, a, pre, a vice president at Phoenix Seminary. Incredible leadership came in and said, I'm here to serve. I can administrate, organize. And we've got a, another pastor in the room here, Pastor Craig, raise your hand. My brother right there, you guys give him a round of applause. He's going to be helping out. He's going to be helping out. So we're going to just raise up a whole new level of leadership in the church to minister to the needs and so that we can keep going. And so I'm just real excited about what God's going to do. Pray with me as a church over the next eight we- or the next five weeks. We finalize a team of men and women. I'll have them stand right here. And we're going to say these are kind of like our, our care ministry team leader or uh, team that's going to be helping in the area of counseling. Uh, that could be marital counseling, parental counseling, financial counseling, visitation, hospital visits, home visits, mercy, benevolence, and helping with practical needs. So that's real exciting about that. Um, that, that, that was last week that we saw. And so here's what I want to say to you is uh, Dr. Yarger is going to follow up. He's going to follow up with all the people that indicated uh, that they want to be a part. We're going to organize a group, have a couple meetings. And then over the next five weeks, we're just going to finalize it and work it out. But if you missed last week and you're like, man, I totally would love to help in some of those areas of counseling, visitation, or mercy needs, benevolence, or, or with practical needs of like fixing a car or fixing up a house or doing whatever to somebody in the church. If that's you, just, just go ahead and recommend yourself this morning. Okay. And write your name on the connect card, drop it in the giving box. Um, or you can come down after service and meet Dr. Uh, Bill Yarger. Uh, he just wants to be called Bill, so you can just call him Bill. Uh, but meet Bill, and he'd love to meet you uh, and be able to just connect you. And, and we're going to get that team organized. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this morning's uh, message. Obviously, um, the video wall behind me is not working, so we've been in the building 11 weeks. And uh, we're still figuring that out. Uh, all the kinks and stuff like that, but that doesn't slow us down to worship Jesus, does it? So let me pray for us and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, I'm excited when I saw the incredible response. I feel like we're going to get into a ministry year this year and there's going to be an army of people that are ready to serve you and love and share and show the love of Jesus Christ to this church family to minister to the needs And God, I thank you ahead of time that you're going to propel us forward and that every barrier that we come up against, whether it be an organizational barrier or even just some kind of barrier of fear to share our faith, God, you are going to help us to overcome that. Through the name of our precious Lord Jesus, everybody said, amen. Hey, this morning we're talking about persecution. Um, What is persecution? Here's the definition. Christian persecution is any hostility experienced from the world as a result of one's identification as a Christian. This could be anything from verbal harassment to hostile attitudes or actions. You ever been discriminated against just because you were a Christian? We had a young gentleman in our uh, church congregation was recently fired and let go from his job. Fired would be the better word. uh, For being a Christian and outspoken about it. Um, uh, Christian uh, persecution is going on all around the world, but let's not kid ourselves. It's not like we as Americans are being imprisoned or beaten or tortured for our faith. Not in America, we're not, at, at least. I mean, I do have one story when I was a kid, when I, I was persecuted. I'll tell you real quick. I was in, in elementary school and 
we were, we were getting on the bus, and the bus was loading up, and we were, I was at a very troubled school in Little Rock, Arkansas, probably some of the worst public school systems. And it's notorious because Little Rock was the first school that had the first African-American at, at its central high. So, like, the whole school system's kind of got national attention over the decades. And when I was in school there, it was a troubled school. I was born into a Christian family, grew up, and as a young kid, I preserved those values. And I'm going to get on the bus. This is my first persecution story. This, this is going to prove that persecution does exist in America. So I'm getting onto the bus, and, I'm, and as I'm walking up to the bus, it's a line of bus. Teacher says, oh, I'm sorry, Ryan, this bus is filled. I said, okay, that's fine. So I walk down to the next bus, and I try to get on that one. And I can hear a kid screaming and yelling in the bus. And I said, who is that? And they said, that's Ivory. And I said, oh, Ivory, he's the biggest bully of the school. I definitely don't want to get on that bus. So I'm sitting there, and and the teacher says, no, no, go ahead and get on this bus. And the bus driver says, hey, Ryan, I'm sorry, the the, the bus is full. And I was like, praise God, hallelujah, I'm getting off this bus. So I go to get off the bus, and the teacher says, no, 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 get back on the bus. And then a kid yells out, no, 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 there's one more seat. And they say, where? And the kid raises his hand, and guess who it is? It's Ivory. Got to sit right next to Ivory. So I'm sitting there, and I had already seen Ivory in the school. He would start fights in the hallways, always troubled. What we're going to learn today is messed up people mess people up. Hurt people hurt people. Ivory was hurt. Ivory was messed up. A lot, a lot going on in his life. Get on that bus, I, I sit down next to him, and he's like, he's like throwing spit wads, slapping the kid's head in front of him. You know, he's cussing out and cussing and yelling, and the bus driver's like, be quiet. I'm sitting down there, and I'm a terrified little boy just sitting next to this big kid, and he's like scaring me, and I don't know what to say. And so I just think, well, I know, I learned in Sunday school that if people are bad, then maybe they don't know Jesus, so I'm going to start talking about Jesus. So I sit there on the bus, and he's right next to me, and we get the bus rolling. And I say, I work up all my courage. I say, Ivory, I've got one question for you. Do you know Jesus? And he goes, boom. No. Boom. My face is busted. I'm thinking back on those days, like, I wish I could rewind that, like, or, or let's say, because uh, we don't have VHS, but I could, like, redo that, you know, and be like a Christian Chuck Norris, and, like, grab his hand real quick when he was slinging it at me, and then say, well, you ought to know Jesus, you know, but I, he was so angry as soon as I said that, and obviously my timing was terrible in me saying that, but I vowed to that day, I was like, Lord, I'm never going to speak about Jesus again because I'm terrified. You know, but let me tell you about persecution around the world and in America. But I'm not going to portray that America is facing persecution like it is around the world. Let's not act as it's incredibly terrible. I mean, we're not getting beheaded. We're not being thrown to the lions. We're not being thrown into prison. There's more than 300,000 churches in America today. It's not illegal to be a Christian. It's not illegal to proclaim Christ. It's not illegal for us to hold services and do this stuff. It is around the world. It is around the world. Today, an estimated 5.5 billion people, that's 77% of the world of all faiths, Christian, including Muslim, Jew, Hindu, Buddhist, and others, face some form of religious persecution. This could include economic discrimination, imprisonment, physical violence, and death. Christians, though, 
are the most persecuted people group in all the world. Christians are. More than the Buddhists, more than the Muslims, more than the Jews, more than the Hindus, more than any other group, it's Christians that are persecuted the most. But you know what's so crazy? Is that there's an overwhelming size. Christianity is the largest faith group. The one being the most persecuted is the largest. Why? Because we have an incredible almighty heavenly father. It says we're going to break down every barrier that is formed against us. And Jesus said, I will build my church. And courageous men and courageous women over the centuries have stood up for their faith. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I want to tell you about one courageous individual by the name of Saeed. He was a, uh, a, a pastor in Iran. I had the privilege to meet him. He, uh, his story was filmed on, in, in, uh, uh, on the media, Fox News, CNN. He was imprisoned for his faith. He was an incredible um, leader. He was an Iranian-American Christian pastor imprisoned in, prison in Iran. He was de- detained in Iran, Iran in the summer of 2012. Uh, and incarcerated in a prison called Ivan in Iran. He was sentenced to eight years in prison, reportedly uh, for charges of undermining national security through private religious gatherings and Christian homes in Iran in the early 2000s. He was uh, the leader of a house church movement, and the government wouldn't tolerate it. And during the period of uh, Saeed's Uh, ministry, he established over 100 house churches in 30 Iranian cities with more than 5,000 members. This is a place where it's illegal to be Christian. And he's going to stand up for his faith and he'll be imprisoned for it. I met this gentleman and had the privilege to pray with a bunch of different pastors for him as he was released. He was miraculously released through uh, legal systems, um, fighting against the Iranian government. Uh, to let him go. Uh, Much controversy has surrounded this man, but nonetheless, what we see as American churches and Christians is that God has decided to use this individual to shake up the world, to realize that there is modern-day persecution happening all around the world on a regular basis. And God's power and presence has chosen to work through this individual More than a a thousand people came to faith in Christ. More than a million people were united around the world praying for him and his release. I had the privilege to meet with him. And throughout this message, I'm going to share a lot of the biblical passages that I went over with Pastor Saeed to talk about persecution to you. I asked him about persecution and he said there's persecution in America just like um, there is in so many parts of the world but it's not the same kind of persecution. The persecution we face there is of physical violence. Here, it's a legal uh, system. It's it's discrimination. It's all sorts of other kinds of persecutions where there's harassment, but maybe not the hostile actions that you're facing in Iran. Lifeway research showed that 63% of those surveyed believe that Americans are facing growing levels of persecution. There's kind of a spirit of times in America right now where people are realizing it's becoming a little bit more hostile uh, reactions against Christians. We're, We're increasingly facing a hostility. Christianity Today said it like this, Anti-Christian hostility is on the minds of many American Christians these days. Each new legal challenge to religious liberty at the state and federal levels raises the issue afresh. 
it seems that today Christian must think through their cultural position more carefully than at any other point in U.S. history. That's where we're at. We're at a point in U.S. history where we've got to rethink how we navigate through cultural issues because there's going to be an increasing level of persecution for being a Christian. Jesus said it like this, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If you're not being persecuted, I would raise the question, are you really standing up? Are you really standing out for what you believe in? As a Christian, you're going to face some kind of personal harassment, some kind of discrimination even in America for being a Christian. I told you just recently we had the young man that was lost his job as a result of just sharing about Jesus. I recall another story early on in the church's life is that we had a nurse that would pray for patients from time to time. And that's a big no-no sometimes in the medical industry at a public health system. And then you, you learn, you got to navigate the system. you got to ask the question, do you mind if I pray for you? But that can get you fired real fast if you start talking about Jesus in the public marketplace. So today we find ourselves and we're going to look at the life of Stephen. I want to do a bit of, 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 of a contextual understanding so you understand where Stephen's coming from. And then he, we're going to see him martyred for his faith. Stephen found something worth dying for. Martin Luther King said it like this, if a man hasn't discovered something worth dying for, he hasn't really lived. I don't know about you, but I, I'd be willing to die for my faith. And I say that because I think if I, if I wouldn't die for my faith, then why in the world am I preaching about it? You know, I, I've thought about it. I talked to my wife the other day. I said, I don't want to go out just like driving on I-17 and getting a car accident and die. I would love to be that guy that's like on a mission trip and I go out sharing about Jesus. That would be my, my dream. You know, I would want to do that. But what about all of us? I don't know. You know, would, would, would you be willing to die for your faith? See, Christianity calls us to something radical. Something totally different. Because it, and it puts things in perspective that there's an eternal life. This is short compared to what we get up there. And at the end of the day, is not the goal to be faithful to our Lord Jesus. Am I faithful to do what he's called me to do? As a mom, as a dad, as a part of this local church, in, the, in my business world, in my, all that. Let's be faithful, let's be faithful, let's be faithful. So here's what we're going to learn about Stephen. Stephen had been chosen to serve the first church in the beginning of Acts chapter 6. He was a servant. And we also see that Stephen was falsely accused and arrested in speaking it for speaking against the Jewish faith and the temple. I mean, Stephen wasn't afraid. He's going to get falsely accused. They don't even get his message right. And they falsely accuse him and they end up arresting him for speaking out and speaking against the Jewish faith. The Jewish faith rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Stephen was proclaiming that Jesus was the Son of God. He was proclaiming that the temple, oh, it's a great building, but you don't have to meet God only through the temple. You can meet God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this bothered the religious Jewish leaders called the Sanhedrin. Verse 11 says they secretly instigate. And on and on through, the, through that chapter, they stir up the crowds, they seize him, they set up false witnesses, they slander against him. That means they, they make up false things about him. 
This reminds me a lot of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was arrested. They seize him. They set up false witnesses. They slander against him. And here is the first martyr, the one, the first formal persecution of the church. Will Stephen stand strong? Will he be faithful? Or will he deny the Lord? We're going to see that Stephen proved from the Scriptures that the temple is not necessary for worshiping the true God. They were emphasizing that the holy place is so holy. And they worked so hard to preserve the holy place. And Stephen was saying, no, you need the holy person. And they would talk and they would talk about the importance of a holy site. These temples were sacred sites. And Stephen's saying, but you're missing the Holy Savior, Jesus Christ. So what we're going to see is that in Acts chapter 7, Stephen proves, he gives a long speech, one of the longest speeches in the New Testament, and he proves from his teaching of Scriptures that Israel, the Jewish people, have been favored by God before ever possessing a tabernacle or a temple. He goes on to say in the beginning of verses 1-8 through 8 that God guides and provides for Abraham. Before there was a tabernacle. God's blessing is not just on the people who have the temple. But God's blessing has always been on those who rely upon Him. He goes on to say that God's blessing was on Joseph. And God protected and promoted Joseph. And goes on to say that God promoted and prepared and empowered Moses. And then he ends that speech by saying, And even after possessing both the tabernacle and the two temples, you have been found faithless. You rejected the Messiah and you're guilty of, of crucifying Jesus Christ. Well, this enraged them. We see, picking up in verse 54, Stephen's message about Jesus enrages others. People don't want to hear about Jesus a lot of times. Uh, if they're against Jesus, it can really create hostility. Sometimes... You know, even on family reunions, I can remember there's been times when we have, a, we have different faith groups in our family reunions and you start talking about Jesus, like it either unites or divides, right? It either, it draws you closer together. I've been on mission trips across the world and been in a room and start praying and I got Chinese people hanging out with me and we're all praying together because we are united in Christ. But there's different times when you talk, start talking about Jesus and it brings out hostility. Here's what happens. It says, now they heard these things and they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. It's kind of a funny way to put it. They're they furious. Luke is a historian and in the, in the culture and the time, they're, they're capturing this incredible hostility and anger with the people. Stephen focuses on eternal, not earthly things. He says, but in verse 55, but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Stephen's been noted to be full of the Holy Spirit. He's been noted to be full of wisdom. Uh, he, he's a man who is filled up with God. And here's what I find really, really cool. Is that in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his tribulation, in the middle of his pain, he gets a vision for eternity. I think how good and gracious God is, is to show up. When Stephen's down to nothing, God is up to something. He's down to nothing. He's about to be executed. He's about to be murdered. 
And God gives us this supernatural vision. He gazes into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He needed that. He needed to see that. God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be faithful to the end for you. And then look what he says, verse 56. And behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He had an eternal vision. He had an eternal mindset. And I think how cool it is for God and His graciousness to give him that. He needed that. Because guess what? Even his friends, they're not sticking around. He's going to get stoned to death. And they're not sticking around. So God in His grace says, I'll give Stephen the courage he needs and I'll show him a vision of eternity. We need that when we face trials and tribulations and hardships and hurt. You know, here in the last few months, I've spent time with families in our church. Two of them have gone on to be with the Lord. And here's what I hear from their lips before they, in their last days. I'm ready to go home. I'm at peace. I'm going home. Stephen was not afraid. Stephen had a crazy, courageous faith. How did he get that? God gave it to him. He was just faithful to take step by step by step. He would never back down. He'd just stand up. And he always stood out. Would you be willing to stand up and stand out for what you believe in? In the days ahead in American culture, I think you'll face an increasingly level of hostility and persecution for your faith. I don't know if we'll ever get to the point where we see some of the countries in the Middle East, but we will face it at greater levels. Stephen is rejected and he's stoned to death. But they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped up their ears and they rushed together at him. They cast him on the ground in the, in the, of the city and they stoned him. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody stoned before, but when I was a kid, I saw a kid stoned on my playground. He was uh, a young African-American kid. The kid had uh, braces. He was handicapped. Um, probably mentally not completely there. And some bullies were picking on him. And they, so he was at the bottom of the hill. I'll never forget this kid. His name was Victor. And his legs couldn't walk. So when he walked, he'd have to drag his legs. And every time I read this passage, I can't get over thinking about Victor. Because if, if you've seen somebody stoned before, it's, it's horrendous. The noises that it makes when a stone hits the body. So sitting on this playground watching this, Victor, somebody picks up a rock and mad at him. He's at the bottom of the hill. What had happened, he got in the way of some stupid tire race we were playing. We were all rolling tires down this hill, big tires, down this dirt hill. Victor comes across not too fast, gets hit by a tire. Some kid yells out, get out of the way, cripple. Pick up a rock, say, look, I'll hit that kid. (sighs) Hit the kid right in the back of the head. I hear it hit, and I think to myself, that's terrible. See, I was a punk kid, not, not the nicest kid, but I knew that was wrong. So me and my friends rally up and we get the kids that are starting to throw rocks at Victor. Victor falls down on the ground and they keep throwing rocks at him. We get the kids, we throw the kids that are throwing the rocks away. Thankfully that whistle blew and recess was over. You know, let me tell you something about Stephen. Here. Where were his friends? Why didn't they stop? Why didn't, this is Stephen. He just got elected by the church to be this big leader. Everybody loves him, and nobody's there. I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? 
All these leaders in the church, they run away. They, they actually leave Jerusalem and run off. And here I was on, on, on uh, Lake Highlands uh, Elementary School, and me and a couple buddies could take out a couple thugs. Here's the uh, grown men, apostles, leaders. They scatter. Why? Fear. Terrified. Victor didn't get stoned to death, but he got stoned. Stephen gets stoned to death. Look what happens. Verse 58. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Everybody say Saul. Saul. Let me tell you something. When you're down to nothing, God's up to something. Stephen was down to nothing. He's losing his life. He already lost his friends. They ran off like a bunch of cowards. They left him for dead. But God is at work. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. You know who Saul is? Saul is a man who persecuted the church. He was the one who gave orders for Stephen's execution. He hated Jesus. He thought he was a false prophet, everything else. Saul is going to meet Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Going to get a brand new life, a brand new name, and be called the Apostle Paul. That is this guy. Let me tell you something. When God is at work, He does crazy things. When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. And as they were stoning Stephen, He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's the first thing He says. He's praying, God, I'm going home. It's time for me to go home. Receive my spirit. Then look and see, Stephen prays for himself and others. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. It's another way to say he passed on. Stephen does two things. When he is about to cross over from life to death, he prays for himself. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And I hear that phrase when I'm with people that are nearing the end of their days. Lord, receive my spirit. And then he prays for his persecutors. Look what he says. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. In other words, God, I know you're a God of second chances. God, please don't give up working on these guys' lives. Stephen prayed the same kind of prayer Jesus prayed when Jesus went to the cross. Remember what Jesus said? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Stephen does that. So what about you? What about me? Breaking through the barrier of fear, fearing persecution. Most people struggle with fear. They're afraid of something. I got a, a little daughter, and she's always talking about, I mean, at, at, at North Terra Canyon down the road, they show these like little news clips all the time in the early morning, trying to like educate our children. And, and, and I know some of we got some teachers here, and I'm glad we love the teachers. We love that school. It was really funny to me. They show these news clips, and they show like, you know, CNN or, you know, they don't show the Fox News, but they show the CNN. And so I'm like, okay, whatever, as long as we got some kind of news going. And, you know, they always show North Korea. And my daughter comes home all the time, Dad, I pray that we don't get nuked by North Korea today. She hears a jet flying over. She's like, is North Korea coming? I mean, it's a real, it's real. Like, I mean, there, there's, there's like, there's some level of threat there. And there's a fear. And fear can mess you up. It can really mess you up the way you think, the way you act, what you do, what you believe. 
And here's what you need to know about persecution. If you're going to break through this in the future and even in the present, is number one, you need to expect persecution. This is no better from the Apostle Paul, who's been on both sides. He persecuted Stephen, and then he himself will be persecuted. He'll die a martyr's death. He'll be beheaded in Rome. He says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, that's the Christian life, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That stands for all times and all generations. That's true yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You're going to face some level of persecution. As a Christian, you, gotta, you, you, you should stand out and stand up for what you believe in. That's what makes us distinct. What's, real, what's really cool is Christians are the most persecuted people, religious group in the world, but yet we're the largest and most influential group in the world. Why? Because we have a, an incredible God who promised, he's a promise maker and a promise keeper. When he says, I'll build my church, meaning nothing will come against us. And does that mean that people won't lose their life in the process? No, Stephen lost his. But it's when you and I find something worth dying for that we're truly going to find a life. Recently, I was just with a friend of mine and uh, we were sharing just our friendship and he said to me, I'd lay down my life for you, Ryan. And I thought, that's, that's a courageous commitment. You know, I say those kind of words to my daughter. You know, like if it had to come between me and her life, or, and, so, and, and, and like if she's on the operating table and they need two kidneys, I'm giving them two kidneys. I'll do whatever. You know, with your faith, please don't divorce it from the best and the most precious relationship you could ever have. Jesus Christ is that. And when he calls you to be a follower of his, some of you are going to have to stand up in crazy, courageous ways. My only hope for you is that you would just take one step at a time to be faithful. And expect in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your tribulation, in the midst of your pain, God is going to do something great. When you're down to nothing, God is always up to something. And so here in this, I want to encourage you to claim some of these promises. Here it is. Claim God's promises in the midst of your persecution. Maybe a verbal harassment at work. Maybe harassed by your friends because you're choosing to live a Christian marriage. It may be being ostracized. When I first became a Christian, my friends hated my guts because I quit partying with them and quit doing all the things I was used to doing. And they called me a religious uh, a bigot, uh, a fanatic. They told me I was abusing religion. I'm like, I'm just trying to know Jesus and love Jesus. And I don't want to get drunk, high, or stoned or mess around anymore. You're going to face hardship and you've got to claim these promises in the midst of your persecution no matter what you're going through. Jesus said it like this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. That means doing the right thing. If you do the right thing in the midst of a, a world that is troubled and not living according to God's uh, law of the land, then you're going to be persecuted. But look what it says, blessed. That means that there's this blessing on your life as you choose to live for Christ, that there's this blessing upon your life in the midst of persecution. I remember I asked Pastor Saeed, I said, tell me about your faith in the midst of that prison. He said it was terrifying. Every Wednesday they would hold an execution and they would take off our, our black 
uh, sack over our heads so we could witness it, and it terrified me. And he said, but I'll tell you this, Ryan, I never experienced God's presence and his power more in my life than in that prison. And I can hardly even say the, the prison name without a little bit of fear and trembling, but at the same time, there's this deep level of blessing and remembrance of how sweet my relationship was with Jesus Christ. I thought, man, this is the verse he shared with me. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, Stephen, he saw the kingdom of heaven. He's being persecuted. He's down on his knees. All his friends are gone. He looks up and he has an eternal vision of heaven. Claim that promise that there's blessing in the midst, midst of your persecution, in the midst of your hardship, in the midst of your trial. People are falsely maybe accusing you or slandering you or saying false things against you because you're choosing to stand up and to stand out for Christ. You're going to be different. You will lose friends being a Christian. I lost all my friends when I first became a Christian. And I, I started with the most personal and the greatest friend I could, and that was the person of Jesus Christ. Friday nights, all of my friends are partying down the street. I'm in my room alone praying and trying to say, God, bring me some people. I like you, but I need some more friends. And then he surrounded me with a great group of people. When you become a Christian and you live for Christ, you will either, you will unite people and you will naturally divide people. Living as a Christian calls us to be incredibly different. We claim there's those promises. There's a tremendous blessing in being persecuted because you know you're standing up and standing out for doing what's right. I don't know if North Valley was put to the test and, you know, we felt American persecution. I mean, our troubles are we don't have a video wall. But in different parts of the world, I got a friend who's a preacher in Dubai and he has to wear a bulletproof vest and has two guards on both sides because he's being threatened to be assassinated all the time for preaching Christ. Would we scatter? Would we stand strong? Claim those promises. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That means the good, the bad, and the ugly. Everything that happens in your life, God wants to use for good. When you're down to nothing, you can bet that God is up to something. Whenever you're down, completely down, I don't have a friend around God, God's up to something. Stephen looked around and Peter wasn't there. Uh, John wasn't there. No, nobody's there. Everybody ran away. And God's up to something. He's got a man in the crowd named Saul. And that man is going to become the Apostle Paul. See, there was an incredible work behind the scenes going on. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Claim that promise on your life. Whatever hardship you're going through, whatever trial, whatever tribulation you're in, claim that. God, you say that all things work together for the good for those who love the Lord. I want to encourage you to do this too, is learn to love your enemies. Jesus said it like this, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you say to me, how in the world could I do that? How can I love my enemies? I think you need to understand your enemies are messed up people. And messed up people mess people up. Hurt people hurt people. Does that make sense? That's how you can pray for enemies. People that are saying false things against you, hurting you, uh, harming you, doing that kind of thing. You need to understand they're, they're messed up. They're not right with God. 
even if they, are, they have a relationship with God and they're still messing you up, they're still messed up. Stephen understood that and he prayed for these people. Jesus understood that and he prayed for them on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Last thing I want to encourage you to trust our Heavenly Father. Trust your Heavenly Father. He doesn't promise to keep us safe, but He promises that He'll be with us. He doesn't tell us that we're going to escape, but He's going to give us the power and the strength to endure trials and hardships. He says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep amidst the wolves. He says this to His disciples. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for My sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it's the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. God will give you the words to say. The Heavenly Father is so committed to you. You are His son. You are His daughter. He loves you. He paid the greatest price for you. He wants you to stand up for your family and be strong as a Christian. And realize that you will be persecuted. But he says, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. And you say, well, where was he with Stephen? He was there. He gave him an eternal vision. And that was what propels the church forward. In the grand scheme of things, we can't answer all the questions in life. And we're not supposed to. Who would have known Saul would have been standing there? And he's the one who's going to become one of the greatest theologians of all times for the Christian faith. When you're down to nothing, God is always up to something. You can trust your Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. I love these guys and gals, and I pray that You would give them great courage. God, that when they feel like they're down to nothing, they can trust that You are always up to something. And I pray, God, for them in their times ahead when they face any hostility, uh, discrimination, or mistreatment of any sort, God, would you give them the great courage to completely act contrary to their nature and love the people by understanding they're messed up, but they need you. And Lord, that you would give them the courage to stand up for what they believe in and and live according to your ways, by your grace, by your power in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.